It's shrunk. Where's my jacket? Well, it's home tonight. Need a little rest, it told me. I actually shrunk it into this leather watch band. So, but then at the right time, I'll just unshrink it. Yeah, honey, I shrunk the leather jacket. Have you ever seen that movie? Okay. You guys really that warm? You know what? You know the answer to that? You don't want to hear. You want the truth? You sure you want the truth? It's all about the truth, baby. Get in shape. You wonder why I can wear the leather jacket with a black turtleneck and hardly have any sweat down my back? It's not because I don't sweat. Just got to get your resting heart rate down. Get the air-conditioned system working in the body the way it was intended to work. Purify and get rid of the toxins, J.D. Right? Oh, you guys didn't want to hear that anyway, I know. So, okay, let's get to the message at hand, and you guys can keep fanning yourself. That's why we hand out those programs. They're perfectly weighted. I don't know if you notice it. Like, take this sheet of paper. It's not weighted perfectly. But yours are weighted perfectly. We tested them in the office, weighted paper before, and as you can tell... They're all perfectly working. We're going to talk about passion. The reason I'm talking about this is entitled The Passionate Life is because I find far too many people in my experience dealing with people and in conversations who really are living a mediocre life. They're really living an uninspired life. In fact, many Christians, many Christians really don't have a reason to get up every day. It's a labor for them to get out of bed. Their lives are mundane. Their lives are sort of empty. Their lives are just kind of average. And they ask themselves, is this all there is to Christianity? Because if there is, I want the world. The world looks more exciting, except, of course, the world gets bored with itself. And so I find both Christians and non-Christians... Both believers and non-believers are bored. And when we're bored, we waste our time, we waste our money pursuing things that will never, ever, ever satisfy us, fulfill us, make us happy, or bring meaning and significance into our lives. God has something different. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it to its fullest. That's what abundantly means, to its fullest. He wasn't promising you a rose garden. He wasn't promising you a Cadillac. He wasn't promising nothing would ever go wrong in your life. He was promising that your life could be full and meaningful and vibrant and passionate and inspired and significant. And yet multitudes of people are missing that. And so we're doing this series. The first week... We talked about heavenly vision, the fact that God has called us, that passion flows from our heavenly vision. It flows from the fact that the God of the universe has intervened in our lives and spoken to us and called us out from the world and has something awesome for our lives. Not only does God offer us eternity, not only has Christ given us eternal life, but he has something for us in the here and now that is the most important thing in the world. 
God has called you. But as I mentioned to you, a lot of people forget that. They don't nurture that awareness. They don't remember, they don't feed the memory of God having called them. Last week, we talked about the fact that passion flows from the love of God. And I share with you the life of the Apostle Paul. There's never been another man like the Apostle Paul. Paul turned the world upside down almost single-handedly, of course, with the power of God. And of course, he traveled with a team of Christians. But they turned the Roman world upside down. This shrimp of a man. Scholars believe he was no more than four foot nine to five foot tall. He had a serious physical problem that followed him all his life. Many scholars believe it was a pussy eye and his eye would just ooze. In other words, it was the kind of problem that you wouldn't want to have if you were a public figure in front of people all the time. You wouldn't want them staring at the pus oozing from your face. Paul was beaten. He was stoned. He was left for dead. He was shipwrecked. He was rioted. He was jailed. And this man traveled tirelessly throughout the ancient world on fire. Why? Well, that's what we've been talking about. Why? And how you can tap into that. And we're going to continue this tonight. I want you to imagine with me just a moment that you have about seven people in your family. And everybody in your family, everyone, all seven, including yourself, were born with a very rare disease. This disease makes it very difficult for you to eat, makes it very difficult for you to digest food. You, everyone in your family has diarrhea every day. And this disease shortens your life. The life expectancy is no more than 45 years of age. You spent your money, all that you had, to try to find a way to get well, and you didn't get well. You have to live on a very, very special diet, but no matter what you eat, you still suffer from severe abdominal pain. Your body's not able to take the nutrients from the food that it needs. And slowly but surely, the body is destroying itself. <clears throat> You're about 17 years old. And one day you happen upon a person. You just happen to be talking to this person. And you mention to them that you're not feeling very well. And they say to you, what's wrong? And you begin to describe your symptoms. The stomach cramps, the diarrhea. Everyone in your family has it. You can't absorb nutrients. And you go on and on. And the person you're talking to looks at you and says, you know what? I had that disease since I was born till I was 18. That was two years ago. But something phenomenal happened. And you're looking at this person like, what? you had the same disease? I had this disease. Everyone in my family had this disease. But I met this person. And this person, you know, when you're sick, you'll try almost anything to get well. And this person told me that if I took five pumpkin seeds, mashed them together with five apricot seeds and cherry seeds, mashed them all up as fine as I could mash them up, Stuck them in a blender with V8 juice and pure carrot juice and drank them every day for seven days that I would get well. 
you know, you know, you know how it is being this sick. And I, and I was, I've been wanting something to make this better. So I tried it. And sure enough, at the end of seven days, my, my diarrhea stopped. I, I didn't have it anymore. And then, and then my stomach aches were gone. So I, I thought I'd test it and I, I ate the worst thing possible. I thought I could eat something really spicy and nothing happened. And the next day went by, and the next day went by, and the next day went by, and a month later, I was eating everything that all my friends were eating. No more stomach pain. No more diarrhea. I went to the doctor. The doctor examined my stomach, examined my blood. He said, I'm totally baffled. I don't understand what's going on. It's gone. And after a month of seeing this in my own life, all of my family members tried it. And none of them have it. It's all gone. Every single one of them. Now, you're this 18-year-old, right? You're the one listening to this. Can you imagine how you would feel? How you would feel if someone has just told you they had the same disease, they had all the same symptoms, and they're well. They're cured. They don't have it anymore. I was just wondering, would you go home and share that with your family? Would you talk to anybody that was dear to you? Would you tell it? Would you try it? Chances are some of us would, some of, some of us wouldn't. But, but I, for one, would. I'd try it. And imagine what it would be like after you tried it and you're well. Your stomach aches are gone. The diarrhea is gone. You're eating just like this person told you. Man, I would go home and tell my family I would beg, borrow, and steal apricot seeds and pumpkin seeds, carrot juice and V8 juice, and I'd be mixing it for them. And I'd do everything in my power to share it with them. You know where Paul's passion came from? One of the primary sources of Paul's passion came from truth. Paul was passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was passionate about truth. Truth will change your life if you come in contact with it, if you really embrace it, if you really believe it. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, listen to what he says. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is changing lives everywhere, just as it has changed yours that very first day you heard and understood the truth about God's great kindness to sinners. People have often asked me, Mark, why are you so passionate? Where does it come from? Well, I'm sharing with you over these weeks where it comes from, the same place Paul's came from. But one of these places is the truth. I've experienced the truth in my life. I've experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it changed my life. And I've seen it change people all over the world. I've personally had the opportunity of seeing hundreds of people's lives change. But I have witnessed at a distance millions of lives changed by the truth about God. The truth of Jesus Christ. The truth of the Scripture. All over the world right now as you and I speak, the world is dying from lies. The world is dying because of sin. 
The world is dying because they do not understand the good news of Jesus Christ. And in many places of the world, their lives are ruled by demonic superstitions, paganism, and savagery. Last Sunday, I debated whether to even tell you this. I don't know how much of this I'll tell you, but it's public. It was in the newspaper. And if you got the, the Saturday or the Sunday Star Tribune last week, it was front page of the opinion section, I think it was. And the front page, there was two black women from Sudan. Their, <clears throat> their eyes were bloodshot and tears were streaming down their face. And I'm pretty sure they were in Darfur, but it was Sudan. And these women began telling the story of being gang raped by Arabs who want to do everything they can to eliminate their race. And they began to tell of the horror and the torture and having their vagina sewed together with a thorn bush. And I got physically sick at the table and started to gag. And these women and this nation is suffering because they lack the gospel of Jesus Christ because of the wicked, vile practices of a pagan, wretched world. And millions of women are treated like that in Sudan. Or we could go to Africa where there is a plague right now of AIDS and it's spreading like wildfire and millions upon millions of people are going to die. Do you know one of the reasons why? Because the witch doctors tell them that if they sleep, the men, if they sleep with a 12-year-old virgin, they'll get rid of their AIDS. Don't talk to me about multicultural crap and embracing all of the lies that are in this world. People are dying from those lies. They are suppressing the truth. And you say, well, Mark, we just need to go and give them condoms. The condom companies are not telling you about the truth about condoms and the fact that they do not stop STDs. Some of you may have seen when you were in high school, The Killing Fields, a movie all about Pol Pot and his vile North Vietnamese communist and Cambodian regime. And the million people that were slaughtered and buried in fields. And you thought the Vietnam War wasn't worth it. What is a human life worth to you? It is worth everything to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And they killed him. They killed him for what he said. And they're still killing God's messengers today. People ask me, Mark, what do you think the solution is in the Middle East? There is only one ultimate solution. If a neighbor comes into my house and begins to rape my wife, what do you think I'm going to do? Pray over him? Share the gospel with him? Or beat his brains in until he gets off my wife? I have a moral obligation to protect my family. But before my neighbor 
tries to attempt to rape my wife, I'm not going to go over there with a baseball bat. I'm going to seek to love him and share the good news of Jesus Christ with him. You want to stop Islamic terrorism? Then we must see massive conversion to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must see the world turned upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the one and only hope of the entire world because we are infected with sin. And sin makes us mean and it makes us abusive and it makes us ugly and it makes us cruel and it makes us dictatorial and it makes us vicious and it makes us oppressive. All of those things are symptomatic of sin. They are symptoms of the human nature. You and I live in a country that is full of moral relativists. You and I live in a nation where secular humanism is the pervasive religion of the day. And if you've never read the Humanist Manifesto, it might be a good idea if you did. Because you might find out a little truth. It might be a little eye-opening to you. I recently purchased a DVD series of World War II. And there's a lot of footage of Hitler and quotes from Hitler. If only someone would have listened in 1933, then almost 50 million people would not have died and another 40 million suffered unbelievable trauma caused by Adolf Hitler. People didn't listen. People didn't listen. People don't listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ, but Paul proclaimed it anyway because he knew it was the only hope of the world. The gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth of the Bible is the only hope of the world. I do not care if you consider me narrow. I don't care if you consider me fanatical. I don't care if you consider me bigoted. Jesus Christ is the only hope for the world. And the scripture is the only absolute revealed truth to man. The Bible. And it has stood the test of time when millions have tried to destroy it down through the ages. It has stood the test of time. I remember a number of years ago, I lived next to a young couple in a trailer, in a trailer court. And this young couple, they did not know Christ. They were living together. They weren't married. They were doing all the things that people do, and they lived together. I knew that their only hope at happiness in life was Jesus Christ. I didn't look down my nose at them. I didn't despise them. I actually went out of my way to serve them. I mowed their lawn. My wife made them cookies. My kids would take them over to them. We befriended them. We reached out to them. We got involved with them. And when they started having fights, which inevitably happens, they trusted us and they took us into their confidence and they began interacting with us. And we talked about how Christ had helped us deal with our issues in marriage. We talked about how Christ helped bring solutions to our life. And this couple, this young lady was kind of a, a model kind of lady. She was really into fashion, really into modeling, and she didn't like kids. She was never going to have children. She believed they were a pain and a nuisance. 
to be honest, like a lot of people in the world believe, that children are a problem. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says in Psalm 137, reveals the truth. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Blessed is the man who has a whole quiver full. The Bible reveals how to raise those children so they are a joy. So they are a joy to your heart. I look back in my life and can tell you the greatest joy in my life, of course, besides Christ, is my family, my children, my children. After this young couple lived near us, they lived right next to us for three years. We served them. We led them to Christ. Today they have six children and they are the joy of their life. And this was a couple who was never going to have any children. What happened to them? They came to Christ and they began to understand the truth. And the truth changed their life. Truth. Truth. Are you hungry for truth? Do you want to know truth? Do you seek out the truth? People, again, they often ask me, Mark, 30 years, man, 30 years you're following the Lord. How have you kept your enthusiasm? That's what passion is. How have you kept your enthusiasm, your zeal, your fire stoked? Man, I love the truth. The truth changed my life. It's continuing to change my life. It continues to give me hope and encouragement. I love, most of all, sharing truth with other people. Whether it's the gospel whether it's the truth about money, the truth about relationships, the truth about the world, the truth about love, whatever it is, I love it. It's the greatest joy in my life is to share the truth of God with other people. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew and the Gentile. Now, you may not sense in your own spirit, a sense of urgency because you don't see the world as you ought to. You don't see the world as dead and dying. You don't see the world as hopelessly lost and wretched and wicked. You don't see the lost as broken and hurting. But that's how God sees them. Read the book of Romans. Read the book of Matthew. Read how Jesus looked at the world. Read how God looks at the world, Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2. And you'll see that it was God's great mercy that caused him to look down on a world that is mean, that is cruel, that is hateful, and send his son to die for all of the meanness and all of the wretchedness and all of the cruelty. 1956, the year I was born, there was a man, his name was Jim. Jim and his wife, Elizabeth, they were reaching out to the Alki Indians near Ecuador. They didn't have a spoken language. They didn't have a written language. No one had ever made human contact with them that anyone knew of. And so Jim and a couple of his partners, they would fly over in this little water plane, you know, that lands on the water. And they would drop things down. And, they would, and these were cannibals. And they would seek to befriend them. Finally, after weeks and months of dropping things and flying over low and waving, the, the, the natives went like this, in a sense, to wave them down. So they landed the plane. Jim's wife, Elizabeth Elliot, was home expecting their first child. And as soon as he and his friends got off the plane, they were speared to death right on the sand. And Life magazine flew down, found out about it, did a big giant spread 
on Jim Elliot, his body, the blood, the sand, the story. When they interviewed Jim Elliot's father, they asked him, Mr. Elliot, how do you feel about your son at 26 years old being killed? And it was the first time he ever made contact. He wasn't able to share his message. And you know what his father said? He said, I have but one regret. And that regret is that I only had one son to give. Elizabeth Elliot gave birth to her child, <clears throat> continued living outside of this region, along with a team of others, continued seeking to make contact. And the first person she eventually went to Christ was the man who speared her husband and killed him. And for the rest of her years, on the island reaching them for Christ, he would sleep on her porch and guard her life. It's a picture of God's love for us in spite of our great cruelty, in spite of our meanness, in spite of our vileness and our ugliness and our sin. God loves us. And He wants to be kind to us. And He wants to be kind to the world. It's the only hope the world has. <clears throat> if they don't come to Christ, they will be judged by God. They will be judged by God. This book changes lives. I could go through this auditorium tonight and point to people whose lives have been radically changed by the truth that's in this book. If that doesn't get you passion, I want you to know something. If this doesn't tap into your passion, you are really missing something in the Christian life. You're more than dry and going through a rough time right now. You're disobedient. You've missed it. Your heart is not connected with the truth and what it really means. Once you understand it, it lights you on fire. It lights you on fire. And we grow dull and we grow senseless and we grow a little callous and we grow complacent because we stop looking at the truth. We stop staring it in the face. And we stop secondly, and this is the next place that passion comes from. Passion flows from a burden. I want to ask you a question. What bothers you? What bothers you? No, what bothers you so much that you'll do something about it? We can talk about a lot of things, but let's talk about, just real quick. No, I won't talk about it. Let's talk about something else. The Apostle Paul had a burden. It was a positive burden. He was burdened by human need. Jesus was burdened by human need. In fact, anyone who walks with God will be burdened by human need. If you are not burdened by human need, you are not walking with God. Certainly not very close. You may know Him, you may say you know Him, but you are not in intimate fellowship with Him. Because God's burdens will become your burden. The Apostle Paul had two primary burdens. He was burdened for the lost. Those who did not know Christ. But let me explain the power of the word lost. We've gotten all these cutesy little words like non-Christians or seekers. Let's just call it what the Bible calls it, lost people. Let me tell you why that's profound and powerful and why it's not negative. 
You think the, you think the authorities in Aruba feel a burden for little Miss Halloway? Because she's lost? Do you think the people that were looking for the little four-year-old or seven, ten-year-old Boy Scout, whatever age he was, that was lost for four days, you think they felt a burden to find him? Remember when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven? And he says, it's like, it's like a man. He's got 99 sheep and they're in the pen, but one of his little lambs is gone, is lost. And he goes out and leaves the 99 and he looks for that lost little lamb. You know, the fact of the matter is, we're more burdened when we lose our car keys than our own relatives who are dying because they're lost. We get more burdened and more worked up and more anxious when we lose information on a stupid computer than the neighbor next door who does not know Christ. And we just go about our merry way and we just go about our life and we do what we normally do because we're not burdened. Because we don't understand. We don't get it. We're not walking with the Savior side by side as He points out the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And that's still true today. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are so few. Give me men and women who want to work. Give me men and women who won't be bored by tomorrow. Give me men and women who aren't looking for the next exciting thing in Christianity. It doesn't exist. We've always had it. It's Christ. It's His love. It's the Holy Spirit. It's our mission who are truly burdened. And we can change the world. The second thing Paul was burdened by was Christians. He says in Colossians 1.28, For this purpose I labor and wrestle to the point of exhaustion that I might present every man and woman complete in Christ that I might help them grow, that I might impart to them some spiritual gift, some blessing, some information, some truth, so they might grow with respect to their salvation. <clears throat> All of Paul's letters were not written to non-Christians. They were written to Christians. He was wanting to build them up. He was wanting to see them come to Christ. Or they knew Christ, excuse me. He was wanting to see them grow in Christ. And Paul wrote, even when he was in prison. In other words, Paul's life was not self-centered, but passion in the Apostle Paul flowed because he was other-centered. Paul cared about other people. They burdened him. It bothered him. Let me ask you just to ponder a couple questions as you go about your week this week. The first one is, what beliefs... What beliefs are you willing to go to jail for? What beliefs are you willing to take a beating for? What beliefs are you willing to be laughed at at work for? <clears throat> what beliefs are you willing to die for? If the answer in your mind was, you know what, Mark, to be real honest, none to all of the above. My heart breaks for you. My heart breaks for you. This book reveals so much truth. There is an awful lot 
that I'm willing to go to jail for. There's an awful lot that I have suffered for because I've said, because I believe. And I've taken an awful lot of flack over the last 30 years. And I've had an awful lot of people decide Mark's a blankety-blank and he's a blankety-blank this all because I stood up and said what I believed God wanted me to say and what I felt and knew in my heart from the Scripture was true. Others have said it as well and they've suffered as well. But if, but if you examine your own heart, my friend, and, and you can honestly say, you know, Mark, um, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't have anything, you know, that I'm going to take a beating for. And nothing in my life I'm willing to go to jail for. Then, then you don't understand New Testament Christianity, man. These people... Not only were going to jail, they were being drug out of homes. They were being sent to the arena. They were being tied into skins of animals while the lions mauled them. They were being fed to the animals <coughs> because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And you know what? It's still happening today. It's happening in China. It's happening in North Korea. It was happening in Nicaragua when in 1980... I went down to the Capitol with other friends to protest the Sandinistas who were hurting my friends in Honduras where I travel. And if the Sandinistas had had their way, they would have turned Latin America into another Cuba. What do you stand for? Let me ask you a question. If slavery were still an issue in this country, where would you stand Oh, it's easy, isn't it? Boy, it's easy, isn't it, to say, oh, oh my gosh, Mark, I, I wouldn't know him. And boy, I'd stand up and say it's wrong. Really? <clears throat> A lot of other things you sure aren't standing up saying much about. They're just as wrong in our day as slavery was in 1850, 1860, 1880. No, Mark, I'd have marched in the civil rights movement. Really? You sure? You sure? Oh, man, I had to give money to help out the cause. Really? You would? Are you giving to help out Christ's cause? You willing to put your money where your mouth is? How deep do your beliefs go? How deep do they go? How deep do they go? Most of us believe in ourself and our own comfort, and we pay out the nose for it more than we believe in the cause of Jesus Christ. And I believe God wants that to change. And the reason I'm bringing this up is not to make you feel bad, but to help you understand that's where the passionate life is. Till you cross over, till you live with a reckless abandon. Till you dive in to this thing called radical Christianity. And there is no life. There is no life. Man, there is no life. Till you answer the call, Jesus, come, follow me. There is no passionate life. You can sit around, read all the books you want to read. I want to be with people who want to do something, who want to change the world, at least the world in which we live, at least the part of the world where we're at. You know, do you know where the idea for this church flowed from? It was my idea. It flowed from God, obviously, but it flowed from a passion that God put on my heart, a burden that 18 to 25-year-olds are abandoning the church and there's no place for them. So we started The Rock. 
six years ago. And I shared that passion with others around the country. Now there's two rocks in Salt Lake City, Utah, that started because of this rock. And there's a rock in Fort Collins, Colorado, that started because of this rock. And there's a rock in Columbia, Missouri, that started because of this rock. And there's a rock in Miami that started because of this rock. And there's a rock in Berlin because of this rock. There's a rock in Chicago because of this rock. Because somebody was bothered. Somebody was bothered that we just seemed to be missing a whole generation of young people at church. Because no one's willing to take the message to them in a way they understand. Let me share something else with you. The Pope, as you know, recently died. And the Pope, it's not me saying this, it has been written about, literally was loved by millions of young people around the world. Do you know why they've concluded young people love the Pope? The Pope had some. The Pope was as conservative as you get. And he didn't dress very cool either. And you know what young person after young person said? Because he stood for something. He stood for something. What do you stand for? What do you believe? You, you think people really want to follow somebody who says, I, I really don't know much. I, I don't know what I believe. I kind of think this. I kind of think that. They don't want a spineless Somebody who believes whatever, they want to know what you believe. Even if they disagree with what you believe, they respect you for the fact that you are steadfast in what you believe and that it's well-reasoned. That it's well-reasoned. Secondly, I want you to ask yourself the question this week, what really bothers you? What are you burdened for? What are you burdened by? Does the world really weigh on your soul in a healthy way? Do the needs of other people around you really weigh on your soul? Are you really joyfully giving your life as a living sacrifice for the people next to you because you love God so much and you want to help them? You want to help them? Because you know what? That's where the life is. That's where the joy is. That's where the meaning is. That's where the abundance is. And if you're not doing it, you're missing it. You're missing it. And you're going through life empty, bored, looking for something new. Man, you want life. You want to tap into the passionate life. Live your life with a reckless abandon to share truth with others both saved and lost, and live your life to know truth, to love the truth, to live the truth, to share the truth, and live it to help other people. And next week, July 4th weekend, I hope you can be here. I'll be coming back from a conference in Missouri. And, um, and I'm very excited to end this series because there's one more giant source that Paul had from which his passion sprang. And we're going to end on that giant source from which Paul's passion flowed. Let's bow our heads. <clears throat> Father, we, um, we tell you tonight that your word, I tell you, Lord, your word needs to burn more in my heart. Your word needs to burn more in my heart. Your truth needs to burn more in my soul. I think, Lord, of Jim Elliot's words when he said, Make me thy fuel, O flame of God. I don't think I'm hot enough, Lord, to be honest. 
I don't think I'm passionate enough. I don't think I'm zealous enough. I don't think I'm as deep as you want me to be. I don't think I'm as bothered as you want me to be. I don't think I'm as burdened as you want me to be. I don't think I'm as tireless as you want me to be. And I ask you, oh God, that you touch my own life, my own soul, my own mouth, my own heart, my own mind. And that, Lord, you, you brand my soul with the truth of God. I pray, Lord, <clears throat> I need your power. I need your Holy Spirit. You told us, Lord, in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and even the whole world. Lord, every single one of us, that's our calling. To be witnesses. To be a testimony. To stand up. To be counted in this dark, broken, wretched, hurting world. To stand up. And say, you know what? I, I used to have those kind of stomach aches. And I used to have all that diarrhea. And, and Jesus Christ changed my life. And Jesus can change yours too. And, and if you wouldn't mind, maybe sometime I could share with you how. Father, I, I just ask you that we be bothered <clears throat> by the condition of the world in which we live. We'd be bothered by our neighbor. We'd be bothered by what we see in our own families. And we'd be concerned enough to pray. We'd be concerned enough to love. We'd be concerned enough to serve. We'd be concerned enough to give. We'd be concerned enough to open our mouth and quit worrying whether we're liked or not whether we're popular or not, whether we get laughed at or not, but we would lovingly and boldly share Christ with others. Help us, Lord, to care about each other. Help us to lay down our lives for each other. Help us to have a passion for our brother and sister in Christ, to see them become all they can become, to see them grow into all maturity in Jesus Christ, to see them fully convinced of the will of God. Might you raise up literally thousands of young men and women, men and women of all ages, married and single, who would give their lives for the cause of Jesus Christ, the cause of truth, the cause of righteousness would give their lives because they've been captivated and chosen by you. Change us, Lord. You need to do some things in this church. You know you need to. I know you need to. There's others here who know you need to. Wake us up. Sober us up. Get our attention. Reinsert a radical spirit into our lives, into our soul, Blow and burn away the complacency and the apathy and the lethargicness of spirit and bring back that passionate life. In Jesus' name, amen.